What is the world's greatest invention? Of course, if you wanted to answer that question, you'd probably do exactly what I did. You'd go on the Internet, go to Google, and you'd type it in. And I did that, and I learned what the world's greatest invention is, uh, at least according to T3 magazine. Now, I understand you probably aren't a subscriber to T3. It's a British publication. It's a technological magazine. And they did a survey. They asked the question, what is the greatest invention in the last 40 years? And they found out. It's not the Internet. That came in a distant second. You know what it is? You don't know what it is. The world's greatest invention, according to T3 Magazine's readers' polls, is, I'm not quite sure how to say it, it's the little ball that's in the bottle of Guinness or can of Guinness beer. It's called a beer widget. You think I'm joking. I'm serious. You can look it up for yourself. Um, apparently, in every bottle or can of Guinness beer, there is, it rattles. And what's in there is, uh, some of you are nodding. You shouldn't really be doing that right now because this is a Baptist church. You're supposed to not have a clue about what I'm talking about. But anyhow, your neighbor told you, right? Anyhow, there's something that rattles in a can of Guinness or a bottle. And when you pour out Guinness, it's very important to the Guinness people that there's a big head of foam on that beer. It's a dark beer, and it gets this huge head of foam. You know how they get that foam to go there? In 1989, somebody invented a beer widget. And that little ball in there is filled with nitrogen, which makes that beer foam up. And voila, there you have it, the world's greatest invention in the last 40 years. Who knew? Who knew? Uh, what do you think might be the world's greatest invention? Just off the top of your head, what would you say? Fire? Was well, that a discovery? Maybe not an invention, but uh, what else? The wheel? What? The automobile? The toilet? TV? You know, I think one of the world's greatest inventions is the remote. Not the TV, but it's the remote. Actually, today I want to give you the world's greatest invention. And if you're in the third grade or older, if you're a child, how many, got any third, fourth, fifth, sixth graders? Come on up. If you're in third grader, come on up here to front. And we've got two students from uh, APU. They're going to help me out. And uh, I would like to give you a gift. We promised you a gift. And if junior high, come on, let's, there you go. You round up some kids. There's some kids there. Uh, maybe we should say second grade on up. Come on up here. We want you to help give out these pencils. So get a handful of pencils. And if you're in junior high, you can help out any, anybody. It looks like we need lots of help. Make it second graders. Just be careful. They're sharp. Now, you need a pencil today to follow along, okay? And can you, can you get your pencil and listen at the same time? I think so. Uh, according to Dr. Henry Petrowski, he thinks the world's greatest invention is the pencil. Now, he's an expert. He's written a book called, what do you think his book is called? The Pencil. It's a classic. I'm told it's great reading, and it's one of the definitive books on pencils. In fact, it's over 400 pages long. Who knew that you could write over 400 pages on the pencil? But he did it. In fact, when I was doing a little research, again, back on the Internet, did you know there's actually an American Pencil Collectors Society? Anybody a member of the American Pencil Collectors Society? No? Well, I'm disappointed. 
Anyhow, according to Dr. Petrowski, this is the world's greatest invention, and uh, there is just a lot of information available on pencils, more than I can give you today. Now, I don't know what you think the greatest invention in the world might be. That could be an interesting debate. But uh, I think I know what God's greatest invention is. The eraser. <laughs> Can't have an eraser without a pencil. Um, I think I know what God's greatest invention is. And it's you. You are God's greatest invention. Let me explain why I think that. In Genesis chapter 1, God is creating. And as God is creating, you know, God separates the sky and the earth, the firmament, and God says what? Good job. I did well today. God begins to put the stars in place, and he makes the lights in the sky, and God says what about the lights above? Good. God makes the streams flow into rivers that flow into the ocean, and God looks at the mountains and the oceans and the streams, and God says, this is great. God makes a hippopotamus. I think God laughed. He said, oh, that's fun. God made a rhinoceros and said, oh, here's another fun one. God makes all sorts of creatures, and I think God was having a ball. And then the last act of creation by God was what? He made a man and a woman. And the Bible says in Genesis 1, when God got done with all of this, he didn't say it was good anymore, did he? He said, it is very good. And I think God laughed and said, great job, this is wonderful. And you are, as a human being, God's crowning act of creation. You're God's best. And I'd like to suggest to you today, as it says on your pencil, you are God's greatest invention. Now, I'm going to give you several reasons why I believe that. First of all, you're God's greatest invention because God made you. God made you. And I would encourage you to follow along. We've got some inserts in your worship folder, and you might want to follow along on one of them. But you are God's greatest invention because God made you. Now, back to this pencil. Who made the pencil? A man may have been a woman or a woman. Um, there's a fellow, Leonard Reed, who's written a classic essay. He wrote in 1946 an essay called I, the Pencil. It's quite interesting. Uh, he says this, Yet not a single person on the face of the earth knows how to make me. That's a quote from his article on the pencil. No single person on the face of the earth knows how to make me. Now, as you look at this pencil, you're really looking at a marvel of uh, manufacturing. What's in this pencil is from around the world. For example, the uh, wood, the graphite, the rubber, the metal. It's quite remarkable, and it's come from all around the world, quite literally, to make this pencil. In fact, um, you wanna, how, before we put this up there, how big do you think the biggest pencil in the world is? Let me interview. Folks, uh, who, who wants to guess? How big do you think the biggest pencil in the world is? Yes. Big guess, just say it out there. One something. Anybody else want to guess? How big do you think it is? Yes? What? Well, here's a picture of the world's biggest pencil. And this is, you can't see it very well, but you see that silo? Inside there is a pencil. It's 65 feet tall. It took two years to make, and it's, by, uh, it's in Malaysia where there's a pencil-making factory. And uh, this, I think, let me look up the name. I want to give them credit here. Uh, it took 7,000 hours to build at the Faber-Castell factory in Malaysia. 
and they've constructed this. It was put up in the year 2002, and inside that cylinder is a pencil, a real pencil, 65 feet tall. So that's the world's biggest pencil. Now, Leonard says, not a single person in the world knows how to make me, speaking of the pencil. Uh, Let's ask the question, who knows how to make you? Who made you? Could anybody remake you? Nobody knows how to make you. Now, you say, well, mom and dad came together, the egg and the sperm united, and we had a, a zygote. There's that little bitty thing, and then it was, we called it an embryo, and then a fetus, and then there was birth, and we said, here's baby. And so you came into the world, and we call it the miracle of birth. It's amazing. And every time a new baby's born, somebody's amazed. This is just astonishing how this happens. And you can do all the science and all the work, and it's still astonishing. It's more astonishing as you begin to discover the complexity and the beauty of birth. And I want to encourage you this morning, you're not an accident. God made you. You are God's greatest invention. And I hope that this morning, as you go out of here and you look at a pencil, and you say, wow, I, there's more to a pencil than I thought. And that you're reminded there's a lot more to me than I thought. You are God's act of crea- uh, a crowning act of creation. Now, in Scripture, David, who wrote Psalm 139, one of the more amazing psalms in the Bible, uh, he was writing about how much God knows us. And in Psalm 139... We can't go through this, but I encourage you to read the whole psalm. He's writing about the fact that God knew you before your parents were even born, before you were born. God knows it all. And here he says in beautiful poetry uh, of Psalm 139, beginning with verse 13, Lord, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to pass. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast the sum of them. And he goes on like that. So when the psalmist is thinking about creation, he's thinking about how God created us, and you are God's crowning act of creation. God made you. But, but that's not all to say. Um, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Not only are you made, but another reason I want to say that you are God's greatest invention is you are renewable. Let's talk about that. You are renewable. Now, somebody's already mentioned it, but what's on the end of this pencil? It's an eraser. It's an eraser. Now, the eraser is made up of things from around the world. Erasers are made up of rubber from South America, pumice that comes from Italy, um, and some of this stuff can come from other parts as well. We all know what an eraser is for. Do you want to see a picture of the world's oldest pencil? This is from the 17th century, and you can't see it real well, but it's two sticks of wood with the lead in the middle, like a sandwich. And if you've ever done carpentry work, you know those flat carpenter pencils that you see? This is sort of like that. This was found in the roof of a house in Germany. And some carpenter or builder had left it there. They think it's from the 17th century. It's again, it's at that museum in Malaysia. And they think it's the oldest pencil in the world. Now, what's missing on that pencil? An eraser. Boys and girls, do you ever use an eraser? Yeah. 
You know, when you're drawing sometimes and you don't draw real well, you have to erase something. In fact, you can be writing right now if you want. Oh, some of you are. Now, if, you, if you're doing math and you add up figures and you get it wrong, what can you do? You can erase it. If you're writing a story and you spell a word wrong, you can cross it out or you can erase it. Erasers were put on pencils in the early 1900s, about 100 years ago. Do you know who did not want to put erasers on pencils? School teachers. I'm sorry to say it. There was a big controversy. Don't put erasers on pencils. Why? You're going to encourage kids to make mistakes, which gave me a great idea for Microsoft. I think I'm going to be the next, you know, Bill Gates is going to give me a lot of money for this. We're going to get rid of all the delete keys. You know, all the spell checkers, that'll make people better students, right? No, seriously, teachers opposed erasers on pencils. Who knew? Now, I don't know about you, but I'm glad that there's, erasers, there's an eraser on the end of the pencil. In fact, sometimes um, I run out of eraser before I run out of pencil. And that's a little bit like life, isn't it? Because, you see, when I say God has made you renewable or forgivable or uh, however you want to put that, the reality is that every person in this room has broken God's laws. We've all made mistakes. More than mistakes, we've committed what the Bible calls sins. We've gone our own way. We've done wrong things. We've said words that hurt people. We may have physically hurt people with our fist or in some other way. We may have been at work and we're constantly taking those pencils and pens and paper clips and paper from work, which is called stealing. We may have made a lot of money, but we really didn't tell the government about that and pay our proper taxes, which is called lying. We all do these things in our lives. How do we erase it? How do we change this? Well, the eraser is God's grace that's given to us. You say, Steve, well, I've made some mistakes this week, and they need to be erased. How do I do that? We do that by simply humbly praying to God and saying, God, I'm sorry. I did this, or I did that, or I shouldn't have done this, I should have done that. God, I'm sorry, and I ask you by Jesus' power to forgive me and to wash away my sins. And God says he gives us that grace. He forgives us. God gives us a new heart. And if we had time, we could tell stories all day long about people who God has used the eraser in their life, and they become new people. They write new ways in their life. They become a new person because of the power of God as a person opens themselves and says, God, help me be new. Help me write differently this week. And so I don't know about you, but I love to look at the eraser on the pencil. It's just great. And it reminds me of God's grace in my life that helps me and can erase uh, away my sins. The Bible says this, Again, from Psalm 139, search me, God, and know my anxious thought. Test me and see my, uh, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in the way everlasting. An earlier Psalm, Psalm 130, says, if the Lord should mark our sins, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with the Lord. And that forgiveness is like the eraser on the end of a pencil that helps you and I be renewed and start over and get it right next time. And so I'm very thankful for erasers on the ends of pencils. I lost my pencil. Can't preach anymore. Oh. One more thing. Um, 
when it's all said and done, why did they make this thing? You know, what's it for? Well, this pencil has a job to do. Now, what are pencils for? Well, you could say they're for students who are very nervous and they, they like to bite them. How many of you have pencils at home with a bunch of teeth marks in them? Uh-huh. Well, psychologists could probably explain that. Um, pencils can be used for lots of things. I don't recommend it, but if your head itches, you know, you can kind of scratch your head. Boys and girls, don't do this. Don't try this at home, but you can also... How many of you have ever done that? Cleaned your ear with a pencil? Yeah, you're not raising your hands. Uh-huh. Pencils are useful for lots of things, but why are they made? They're made to make a mark. You can draw with them. You can figure figures with them. You can write in your journal. You can write a poem. Uh, Ernest Hemingway, the great writer. Now, many young people today think, you know, I can't do anything because my laptop broke. Let me tell you something. Ernest Hemingway never had a laptop. Neither did John Steinbeck. Neither did most of the great writers of the world. They used pencils. And Hemingway used to get in the mood to write by sharpening pencils. He just loved to sharpen pencils. And he'd sharpen and sharpen, and finally he'd start writing. John Steinbeck loved pencils. He would use about 60 of them a day. He'd write for six hours. He was very fussy. He was always looking for the perfect pencil. And his favorite was a soft black wing or some brand like that. And he would buy those pencils, use about 60 of them a day to write. This thing is made for a reason. There's a purpose behind it. It has a job to do. Now, what about you and me? God made you. You're not an accident. You're here for a reason, and there's a job for you to do. And I want to wrap up this morning by talking about that. God has a job for you to do. There's a reason why you're here. There's a reason for you to be here today. There's a reason for you to be here. And many of us get discouraged, and we think there's no reason for me to be alive anymore. I'm just sucking up oxygen and taking up space. That's not true. One person, well, let me go back to David for a minute. Um, whoa, we forgot something else. One, one last thing I've got to share about the pencil. What's in the center of the pencil? What's in the middle of the pencil? Lead. Is that what you said? Lead. Well, actually, no such thing. Now, sometimes... And again, don't do this at school, but sometimes, you know, you stick yourself and the lead breaks off and it's stuck in your skin and you think, oh, I'm going to have lead poisoning. Anybody ever wondered about you're going to get lead poisoning from a pencil? Yeah. There's no lead in a pencil. It's graphite. There's a picture of some graphite up here. And uh, that yellow pencil is under it because originally, as they looked for graphite, you can find it in lots of places in the world, uh, even here in the United States. But some of the best graphite is in Asia. China, Siberia, and so they used to paint pencils yellow to, to let you know this is a yellow pencil. It's made with the best graphite in the world. It's going to write the best. Who knew? Uh, the graphite can be in all different hardnesses. You know, number two pencils are the most common, and they put letters on them like HH or HHBB, and that tells you how hard the graphite is in the pencil. And so, again, don't worry about lead poisoning because there's no lead in the pencil. You can't get the lead out, you see. I'm sorry. Did you need to hear a pencil joke? No, you don't want to hear a pencil joke. It's pointless. Um, the last scripture, Psalm 139. David says, put that scripture up. Let's move on. You just, let's read this together. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Proverbs 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge God, and God will direct your path. 
Now, one of the challenge, challenges in life for all of us, and I can't remember how many conversations I've had with older people, younger people, children. If you're in college or high school, somebody says to you, well, what are you going to do with your life? And you say, oh, I think I'll be a doctor or a plumber or, you know, you throw something out there. Most of us haven't got a clue. In our head, we're saying, I have no idea. I'm going to try something. And we're, we're, we struggle with that. One of the most widely used books uh, in the past 50 years, probably, on this issue of what are you going to do with your life is a book called What Color Is Your Parachute? You may have read the book. It's reprinted every year. And in the back of that book, and this is worth the price of the book alone, in the back of that book, Richard Bowles talks about your mission in life, and he helps you understand what it is, and I'm going to share it with you. It's really not that hard. I know what God created you to do. First of all, and it is first, God created you to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. You are created to love God and let God love you. And this morning, as we sing again in just a moment, I hope you'll just say, Lord, I'm here to sing to you and love you, because that's your first job in life, love God. Now, your second job is to do something good for God every day. As you live your life today, there's some good you can do to somebody. It might be a smile. It might be a hug. It might be picking up trash. Who knows what it might be? But there's something in your life you can do for good for God today, and you should do it. That's why you're here. Now, the third thing, he says, and this is more difficult, is your unique gifts and what are you supposed to be doing? What is your calling? I'm thankful that I can say on January, what day is it? September 17th, 2006, I think I know exactly what God wants me to do. He wants me to be the pastor of this church today. Now, that's a great comfort to know. I just don't worry about it because that's what I'm supposed to do. And as you go through life, you focus on one and two, and number three is going to become clear to you how you're gifted and how God wants to use you uh, in the world. In your uh, worship folder on the back of it, there's a little poem. And I was going to sing this, but Ted has a big baseball bat up here, and he said if I started, he'd do his job. So anyhow, uh, what God had called him to do. But you see that on the back here? It says, it's a song the kids learn. I am a promise. You want to read it with me? I am a promise. I am a possibility. I am a promise with a capital P. I am a great big bundle of potentiality. And I am learning to hear God's voice. And I am trying to make the right choice. I am a promise to be anything God wants me to be. And that's just what I'm trying to say today. I want to conclude with a story. Some of you have perhaps heard this story, but it just works so well at helping us to understand exactly what God wants us to be doing day by day. And, And I want to emphasize that to you. You're not an accident. You are God's greatest invention. And there is some good you can do for God today. And if you'll do it and keep doing it day by day, you're going to discover God's unique creation of you and what you're supposed to be doing. This story helps us to see it in a very vivid way. The story is from the book called Radical Hospitality, and it's written by a Benedictine monk and a woman. The woman's name is Lonnie, and Lonnie has a small child who has cancer, and she goes regularly to the Detroit Center where her daughter is being treated, and she's talking about sitting in the waiting room where all the children have cancer. They're bald. The chemotherapy has created that. And she talks about that waiting room. Every person seems to sit in the same spot every time they're there. They've gotten to know each other. They all share their stories. And 
on this particular morning that she's there, one of the seats is empty, and everybody knows why. So it's a sad day. Nobody has said anything. Let me just read the paragraphs of this story. Lonnie says, Matthew's mother puts him on the floor. Now, Matthew is a little one-year-old boy. He's bald. He's wearing a bright red stocking cap. Across the room, there's a teenage girl, 14, 15, very skinny. She's wearing a blue stocking cap, and she's curled up in the fetal position on the chair, her skinny arms and legs all wrapped up together, and uh, nobody bothers her. They understand. So Matthew's mom puts him on the floor. It's showtime. Matthew pulls himself up to standing using one of the orange plastic chairs to balance, and he lets go just standing there wobbling back and forth. He has everyone's attention. When a child like Matthew does something as ordinary as take a first, his first few steps, it's good news in a place like this, Lonnie says. It's a sign of hope. We cling to every crumb of hope. The girl is watching. She doesn't want you to notice, but she's untangled those long, skinny arms and legs of hers, and she's slouched in the chair right now, peering at the wobbling Matthew. She's peering out from under her stocking cap. Matthew's sky-blue gaze fixes on the girl. He waves his arm wildly, and he's off walking, really walking, while his mother beams from this never-before-seen event. He takes seven steps to the girl. I count them. He bumps into her bony knees, slaps his hands down on her legs, and looks up with a great big grin and grunt of triumph. Her face is changing. It's magic. It's magic transforming her face into a smile again that reaches her eyes and makes her pretty. She speaks. That's another first. Can I hold him, she asks the mother. Sure. She scoops up the baby in her arms. Well, Mr. Matthew, aren't you something, she says softly and she snuggles him tight to her caved-in chest. He relaxes against her. He tucks his head up under her chin. He spreads his arms wide around her shoulders. He takes a deep breath and exhales. He goes limp. They sit there like that, the two of them. It's hard to tell who is holding who. Lonnie writes, These two have found their way home to each other. Their connection, though no one has said a word, they've found their way home. Their connection is the same we all share, our frail humanity. We do so need each other, but doesn't it terrify us? Yes, we do need each other. And God has created us unique and special to do some good for God today. I know God's greatest invention. Do you? Do you? I've written a prayer. It's going to be on the screen behind me, and I'd like for us to pray that prayer with the hope that God does something in our hearts to enable us to live out his dreams for us. Will you read the prayer with me? Lord, I thank you for making me me. There is no one else just like me. I am unique. I am your creation. Through Jesus Christ, my Lord, I am forgiven. 
I am your precious child. Hallelujah. Amen. Lord, today I commit myself to being who you created me to be, to loving you and loving all your children. Today is a fresh start, a new page to write on, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, I commit to writing for your glory. With Jesus' help, amen. Praise God.